Hey, this is Nathan Jenkins from Loon Mountain Ministry, and I want to thank you for checking out our podcast today. We welcome you to join us, the trees, the rocks, and all of creation as we worship our great God. Enjoy the message. All right, today we are reading Isaiah 9, 1 through 7. You guys can follow with me along if you want. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those days. For those, (laughs) follow along if you can, for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun in the land of Nephali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nations and increased their joy. They receive before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the days of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressors, every warrior's boot used in the battle. And every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning. Will be you fire. <laughs> for us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Thank you, guys. Can you hear me? Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm coming through. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. We're going to come to the Lord in prayer before we dive in this morning. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, in, in a world where there is much darkness, um, you are the light, and you offer the light. God, I, I pray this morning that we might see you as you are. Uh, Lord, that we need not despair uh, because you are with us. God, I pray this morning that you would give us insight into your word, uh, insight into what you have done. Uh, Soften our hearts, I pray, Lord, um, to the truth of the good news of Jesus and his coming to earth to live and die and uh, rise again for us. Lord, I pray that uh, you would fill me with your spirit, that I might... Uh, communicate clearly. I pray that you would fill everyone here so that they might receive your word, Lord, and be changed by it. I thank you once again for your love for us and your presence with us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, I know most of you here, but uh, for, for those who I, I don't know yet, my name's Drew. I'm the associate pastor here at Loon Mountain Ministry. And uh, we've been making our way through 
the Advent season, focusing on the different themes of Advent. And this, on the third week of Advent, we uh, are focused on the theme of joy. Um, as we lit the, the pink candle this morning, people ask, why is the pink candle the candle of joy? And I do not have an answer. But if you find out, let me know. Um, Christmas is a holiday that promises to, live, to deliver joy more than any other holiday. From early October, when we start seeing Christmas decorations in Walmart and Target, uh, all the way through the coming of the new year, we're, we're surrounded by what's kind of become a, a social pressure to be joyful, to feel happy, right? For some of us, that's pretty easy to embrace. The lights, the music, the food, the gifts, the glitter, the ugly sweaters, the eggnog. Personally, I, I do enjoy all that stuff. I enjoy the bells and whistles of Christmas as much as anybody else. I love Christmas music. I love Christmas lights. I love a good Christmas party, a good Yankee swap, a good glass of eggnog. I got to experience all that this week, so I was happy. But for some of us, if we're honest, when we see or hear this kind of hallmark happiness, joy is not at the top of our list of things that we think or feel or experience. And to that, I would say that's okay. I would say you're not alone in that. Although it has its place, the the traditions and festivities of Christmas are not where joy makes its home. No matter how you feel about these cultural festivities around Christmas time, I want us all to know and be reminded that there is true joy available to each of us this Christmas, and especially to those who acknowledge and feel the weight of darkness around this time of year. And I know that, that there are many here who feel that weight right now. Some of us are feeling the darkness of broken relationships, Uh, family dysfunction, marital dysfunction. And as we think about Christmas and how uh, family will gather, we know that it won't be without conflict and pain. Some of us are living in the darkness of addiction or someone close to us living in that darkness. And uh, as they fight or don't fight for freedom, that's a heavy weight. Some of us are feeling the darkness of chronic illness, and we know that we won't be able to celebrate like we want to this year. Some of us are feeling the darkness of financial strain and wondering how we're going to afford to celebrate Christmas this year. Some of us are feeling the darkness of exhaustion and can't even wrap our minds around one more thing to do. And some of us here are feeling lonely, anxious, and depressed. What I love about the story of Jesus' advent is that it doesn't tell us that we have to escape the, the reality of the darkness around us. It doesn't push us to an escapist mentality or to a hollow, don't worry, be happy remedy. But it also doesn't leave us in despair. During Advent, in this time of waiting for God's presence, we can and should be honest about the darkness that we feel. And it's actually, in, in fact, in the darkness, in the hurt, the silence, the emptiness, 
that causes us to long for God to come and to intercede for us. Advent is a time where we're invited to lean into that longing. It's actually when we lean into our deepest longings and then see how Jesus has come to fulfill them that we experience joy. And, and I believe true joy is just that. True joy is a hope fulfilled. Joy is a longing met. Joy is when God shows up and reveals his presence and power when the light enters the darkness. That's where we find joy. Today's passage comes from the book of Isaiah. And Isaiah was a prophet who spoke to the people of Israel who were in a season of deep darkness. And the first point I have for us this morning is that a reality of Advent or the time of waiting for God's arrival is that it always begins in darkness. At this time in the story, Israel, God's people, had not been faithful to God or his law for a long time. They were in a season of rebellion and idolatry and injustice. Things are not going well for them, largely because of their own sin and disobedience. The Israelites were facing a very tangible, real darkness at this time. And in chapter 8, the chapter before what we read, uh, Isaiah reveals God's plan to bring judgment on Israel for their disobedience by sending the Assyrians to overthrow Jerusalem and send the nation of Israel into exile for a time. And God was disciplining Israel. He was disciplining them, and it was more than a slap on the wrist. The nation would be overthrown, the people would be forced out of their homes and forced to live in a different land. And this was a big deal. People were going to die. Homes would be destroyed. Families would be separated. People were going to suffer. But it wasn't without a purpose. If you fast forward in the story, we see how God's discipline using the Assyrians and the Babylonians would serve as a purifying fire that would cleanse Israel and leave a pure remnant that would once again serve God and be a people devoted to him. And out of this remnant would come the Messiah, whose presence would expel darkness and restore hope and peace and joy to mankind. But at that moment, things were dark. Now, in a moment like this, it would be easy, easy for Israel to simply look at their external circumstances and maybe blame the Assyrians for the suffering that they were going through. But when we think about it, the Assyrians were not the true problem. God, in his sovereignty, allowed the Assyrians to overtake Israel because Israel was not following God or his law. And as I was preparing this week, I came across these verses in chapter 8, again before what we read, Chapter 8, verses 11 and 12, Isaiah says, that, or the Lord says this uh, to Isaiah, This is what the Lord says to me with his strong hand upon me, warning me not to follow the way of this people. Do not call conspiracy everything this people calls a conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear and do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He he is the one you are to dread. Now what God is saying to his people is, don't feed into the fear 
and into the conspiracy and the lies around you that, that the Assyrians are the problem. God is saying, uh, fear, fear me. I'm the one in control. I'm the one with the power. Stop looking out there. Wake up. I need your attention. I believe God is saying the same thing to us as the church, Christians, and to us individually. How often do we, the church, or we personally, blame all of our problems on what's wrong outside of us instead of being willing to look inside and deal with what's wrong right here? We have to be honest about the darkness in our own story and in our own life. And not always. There's plenty of darkness and suffering that is beyond our control because we live in a broken world. So I will say that. But more often than not, the darkness we feel and experience isn't from someone or something else. It's a result of our own sin. And some of us need to be woken up. This is what God's discipline does, is that it wakes us up to the reality of our sin, the reality of our own darkness, so that we might long for something better. We need to realize that, you know, your biggest problem is not your employer. Your biggest problem is not your spouse. Your biggest problem is not your parents or your siblings. Your biggest problem is not your landlord. It's not your elected officials. Your biggest problem and my biggest problem is you and me. God wants to break into the darkness for us. But if all we ever do is look around us and never look in the mirror, we'll miss the fact that the greatest obstacle between us and God, between the darkness and the light, is us. And if we're never honest with ourselves about this, we'll actually never feel a need for God to come and change us for God to come and act. When the real, the real reason nothing ever changes is because we're not actually willing to change ourselves. And that's the darkest place. The second point I have for us this morning is that the good news of Advent is that even though it begins in darkness, it doesn't stay there. The darkness has a way of exposing what we're really longing for. It's in the darkness that we begin to experience the, the longing for God's light and we begin to hope that God will come and act. Because if we look for light in other darkness, it will never give us what only the light can give us. The beauty of Advent and the good news of Advent is that God entered the darkness that he comes to meet us in our need and in our longing and to heal us and fill us with his spirit and fulfill our hopes with himself. He is the light that we long for and nothing else can satisfy us. That's where the joy of Advent comes from. It comes from knowing that God has come to meet our needs and heal our sickness. He is the light that we long for. Let's read uh, Isaiah 9, 1 through 7 again. I'm in Ecclesiastes 9. That's not Isaiah. Yeah. Uh, one second. Uh, 
Isaiah 9, 1-7, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death. A light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdened them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be used, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. See, Isaiah is beginning to unfold God's plan to bring hope and healing and peace and restoration to his people who in that moment are broken and hurting. In the first verse of chapter 9, Isaiah mentions the lands of Zebulun and Naphtali. And I did a little geographic and historic research uh, this week, and I learned that the land of the tribes of Zebulun and Naphtali were once a doormat for enemy militaries on their way to Jerusalem. So in Israel, uh, Israel is here, and then to the east, if you guys are looking, to the east is the uh, Arabian Desert, what was called the Arabian Desert at that time. And the Assyrians were beyond that, and they had to go up and around and down along uh, because there was no water in the, in the desert. And so Naphtali and Zebulun were in the northern part of Israel, and they became kind of just a doormat for invading armies to come who were invading Jerusalem. This region was also known as Galilee. And it, as we know, it, it, would be, it would become the hub for Jesus' life and ministry. So here in chapter 9, Isaiah prophesies that the light is coming to them and has come, not in the form of financial stability or material prosperity or personal gain or position. It's coming to them, as we know, in the form of a baby, in the form of a savior, who will bring light into the darkness, who will save them from themselves and meet the deep longings of their heart. He is the mighty God. He is the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, and of his greatness there will be no end. This is the Messiah. This is Jesus. And now in Matthew 4, Jesus ties himself to this very prophecy. In Matthew 4, verses 12 through 17, it says this, When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, the land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, 
The people living in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death. A light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Jesus' ministry began with the message, Repent, for the kingdom of God, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. He is the light that has come. If you're feeling overcome and overwhelmed by the darkness and the absent, absence of light around you, I would encourage you to start there. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. If you're feeling overwhelmed, if you're feeling in the dark, God will meet you where you are. But it starts with your willingness to repent, to turn away and let go of, dark, let go of the darkness that you're holding on to and turn to the light, turn to him. See, our, our, our culture desperately wants to embrace this idea of joy around Christmas time. But in, in many ways, it's just an imitation joy. It's a hollow joy that comes from trying to escape, trying to mask the darkness by staying busy through all the traditions of Christmas. But in the end, if we dive headlong into all this Christmas activity, what are we left with? All we're left with is empty boxes, a messy house, a half-dead tree, and the dark days of January. If our hope is only in the busyness of the season and the gifts and the food and the people, if that's what our hope is in to bring us joy, then it's going to be short-lived because it doesn't meet our, our deepest need and our deepest longing. And it doesn't fix us and it doesn't fix our world. But Jesus does. Jesus came to bring light into the darkness. He came to bring relationships to restore relationships. He came to set captives free and break the chains of addiction. He came to, to heal the sick, to feed the hungry, to provide for those in need, to comfort those who are suffering. He came to give rest to those who are weary and exhausted. He came to bring comfort and peace and joy to those who are lonely, anxious, and depressed. In John 8:12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of light, light of life. See, Jesus offers us joy through a relationship with him. He's made a way for his very presence to be with us. His name shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. This is the joy that he offers Jesus is clear, in this world you will have many troubles, but take heart, I have overcome the world. He promises his presence with us. God so loved us that he saw us in our darkness. We know that Advent starts in darkness, but it doesn't stay there. God loved us too much to leave us where we were. So he sent Jesus, his only son, to take on human flesh, to come into a dark world, to experience the suffering of humanity, 
to take our sin on himself, although he was sinless and perfect in every way, he took on our sin, he bore our suffering, so that we could have the light of life. Not only did he die at the resurrection, he rose again victorious over Satan's sin and death, and he offers us restoration and a relationship with him. He gives us his very spirit so that we can uh, walk in the light as he is in the light. This is the joy that, that is available to all of us today. Whether you're uh, hearing this message for the first time or whether you've been a faithful follower of Christ for years, we need this. We need to be in the light as he is in the light. And Jesus has made the way for us. There's a joy rooted in knowing God that doesn't compare to any uh, Christmas carol or Yankee swap or you name it. It's much deeper than that. We thank God for uh, his provision for us, the joy that can never be taken away. Let's pray. Jesus, you are our hope. You are our our peace, and you are our joy. God, I thank you that in the midst of a world that is dark, that is um, uh, tainted by sin and brokenness, Lord, you are with us and you offer us hope and peace and joy all through your love. We thank you that we need not despair, that we need not worry about everything else that's going wrong in the world, we need to simply fix our eyes on you. Lord, help us to to pause this Christmas season, to to be willing to stop, to stop striving, Lord, and to, to, to reorient ourselves, to reorient our posture so that we might behold you. And as we behold you, Lord, we know that we will become more like you. Lord, I do pray for uh, those here and outside of our doors who are suffering. I don't want to belittle that. It is real, Father. I pray that you would bring the comfort that only you can bring. Lord, bring healing that, that only you can bring. Bring restoration where only you can bring. Lord, remind us um, of your love for us that that we have a hope, that we have a peace. And his name is Jesus. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We here at Loon Mountain Ministry are committed to loving God, serving community, and enjoying mountains. We want to thank you for being a part of our collective high five this week as we seek to be a light in the White Mountains and all around the world. Please feel free to reach out to us at info at loonmtnministry.com so we can get more connected. See you guys.